So Jesus then heads to uh, Phoenicia, which is modern-day Lebanon. So now he goes to Muslim territory. And by all accounts, scholars believe that Tyre, which is like a seaport city in Phoenicia, in Lebanon, was like the most pagan place you can imagine. Just imagine going to the most hostile to Christianity, to, in that day, Judaism, the most hostile place you could possibly go. This is where Jesus now decides to go. This, this moment in his ministry seems to be where he dives sort of most deep into Gentile territory and actually potentially the only time that he does. And in fact, his ministry is to the Jews. And that's what we're going to see a little bit here as we go. So I just want to give you a picture. Imagine going into, in, in our day, in our case. Now, the Muslim religion didn't actually uh, exist at that time. But, but th that would be somewhat of a of a similarity, going into the most uh, Muslim territory uh, and, and actually being present there to minister uh, in the way that Jesus did. And so it says, and he entered a house when he got there and didn't want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. It's pretty controversial. Like that's pretty sharp. Some of you have read this passage before and go, geez, what, what, did Jesus really talk to people like that? But she answered him and said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Now, I love this first scene because can't you just imagine Jesus in a bit of a banter with this Gentile pagan woman? Like she's arguing with him. And, 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 and this interchange is both sort of shocking but also sweet, like all at the same time. First, she approaches. Shocking. She had no cultural business approaching Jesus, a rabbi, as it were. Uh, in this kind of a situation. And then she asks him to deliver her poor daughter who's demon-possessed, and he basically says, no, you're a dog. Again, <laughs> shocking. Like, you don't deserve it. That's what he basically says. And then she persists. True, I am a dog. But even dogs get the scraps. Now, it's important to note here that this appears to be not Jesus calling her like a mongrel or a mutt or a scavenger street dog. It's actually the word that you might use for, for pet or, or puppy. There's a term of endearment in it. And so it isn't maybe at first blush what it seems because um, what it really is, is Jesus still in his sweetness and his compassion and his kindness approaching this woman who he loves because he loves all humanity. He came to die for this woman. So you've got to know that he still, in his great compassion, is sweet with this lady. So it's not just kind of a blatant insult, but she gets it. It's not a compliment. And she nevertheless persists. And this seems to change his mind. Also shocking. 
Like, really? Can you, can you change God's mind? Can you argue with God? They both came from these mortal enemies. And yet, here they are. I mean, all, uh, uh, remember the, the, the series that we preached over the summer, like all the pagans who came against the Jews, all the pagan people who were in conflict and that, you know, they were in wars with. This is the history that sets up this moment. So they're not buddies. And yet, Jesus transcends that in this moment and not only receives her, listens to her, is compassionate toward her, and, and actually heals her daughter. So sweet. It's so sweet. And, and then we've got to understand, like, what is going on here? Why does this seemingly undeserving woman somehow get through to Jesus? Or somehow gets what she wants? It's, it's actually so curious to consider. The, the commentator Michael Eaton says this, and this is where I got that term, spiritual ambition. Eaton says, Jesus can test our faith by being discouraging to us when we pray. Where does he get that? Right here. He seems to say no, and this reveals whether we are serious about what we have asked and whether we shall lightly surrender our request. God likes us to have spiritual ambitions. He is pleased when there are good things which we eagerly desire from him and which we will not likely give up. I think that's a hard statement in light of unanswered prayer, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But first of all, I want to just give this a little more context, because oftentimes we look at the Bible, we look at everything through our own paradigm. Uh, we, we've talked about it a little bit in terms of the unexpected king as sort of this box. Why was he so unexpected? Why was Jesus so unexpected? Well, it's because they put him in this box. They had the boundaries and the limits on Jesus that they wanted to keep him in. They needed him to be in for them to understand who he was. And we do that. We do that innocently. It's, it's just who we are. We're, we're American, most of us. Uh, or we come from another culture that has a certain paradigm. We grew up in a family where we gained a certain understanding of the world. We see the world through a certain lens because of that family. We have personalities and wiring that just will give us an understanding. When we come to the scripture, all of these things are the filter through which we see this stuff. And so we have to try to continue to step out of the paradigm that we have of the world that has been so shaped. It's interesting, I lived with a guy um, when I was uh, like early 20s. His name was Mohammed Khalifa. He's an Egyptian guy. I loved Mo. And Mo not only was from Egypt, sometimes I would be like, why do you do that? He's like, I'm Egyptian. That's what we do. I'm like, okay. I don't know. I didn't know any other Egyptians at the time. But it was funny. You know, I had a great relationship with him. He actually came to faith at the church I was at at the time. It was actually the church that we were just talking about. So as crazy as the things that were happening at that church were, God was still moving. Like he was still, he just does what he's going to do despite us in many cases. So Mo comes to faith. I somehow am living with Mo. And uh, Mo was also the son of a general in the Egyptian army. So he had a very interesting family culture. Great respect for his dad, who demanded respect, but also demanded strength from his son. 
And, and I, I found Mo to be blunt, direct. I found Mo to be a little bit like this Syrophoenician woman. Just, he would contend, he would argue with me. And, 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 and I don't know if, I don't know a lot of Egyptian people. It's, it's not about whether or not this is what Egyptians are like. It's just cultural paradigms bear so heavily. And then Mo had a certain wiring. And so every time I would get into it with him, I would have to sort of form to his cultural paradigm and him to me if we were going to get anywhere together. So when we come to have a relationship with the Bible, we have to go, what are the things that are coming to play when I try to understand what's going on? Our American culture, our, our family culture, our, our paradigm, even our own personality can shape our approach to God, honestly, more than we know. But what we can see here is Jesus seems to reward persisting in prayer. And, and actually, even as Eaton says, arguing with God on the basis of his character. She doesn't argue on, uh, with God on the basis of what she deserves, right? She's like, actually, the master is still generous. Arguing with God on the basis of his character. See, I think maybe in our sort of like overly gracious culture, we think it's respectful just to kind of slink away when we seem to have a no answer. Okay, you know, I, I get it. But the woman here is actually casting herself upon Jesus' mercy. And Jesus liked it. Faith holds on even when God seems to say no. This is what Eden goes on to say. Faith clings to God's promises, God's mercy, God's power, and such faith is rewarded. Now, I want to be careful here because we know not all faith in this way is rewarded with the outcome that we want. And, and, and I think when, we first, like, when I first came to faith, I was like, we can pray for stuff and God will, will do it? That's amazing. And so I started praying for stuff. And interestingly, in my own experience, God answered all kinds of prayers, especially in like the early part of my Christian walk. I don't know why this is. I watch this in other people too. He's just like so kind in those moments. He wants to reveal that aspect of his character. I've just seen this and it happened with me. And then actually I started praying for things that didn't happen. I mean, I've been so disappointed in prayer so if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, yeah, but the, hey, preacher, this doesn't always work. I get it. My brother was a heroin addict for 20 years. I've never prayed for anybody like I prayed for my brother. I remember just, te I, I could hear tears hitting the floor in moments when I prayed for my brother. He died of sepsis seven, eight years ago, almost. It's my younger brother. Why? Like, why, Lord? I don't get it. So this isn't a tie it up with a bow. But I think we go from young, we can pray for anything, to then sort of a little older in our faith and we go, well, but it doesn't always work. We become disillusioned and we sort of become distant from God. And then I think maturity goes, actually, I can pray with great faith, fervently, and accept that he is sovereign. Amen. That is maturity. That we can carry the tension of both of those things. That's why I don't want to just sort of broad brush this. That's just easy. Just pray and just keep praying. As long as you keep praying, eventually he'll say yes. We know that's just not true. But maturity says, I will continue to put my hope in him and not in the outcome. Even as Jim said, put my hope not in a new year, not in the circumstances changing. I'll put my hope in him. Immaturity puts our hope in the situation changing. 
Our hope needs to remain in him. The latter part of this passage says in verse 31, then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought him to a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spinning, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Aphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged no one, to charge them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well, even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. What I love about both of these stories is that they are appeals to God on other people's behalf. You notice that? The woman's asking for her daughter, and it was other guys who brought the deaf and mute man to Jesus. That is something I want to increase in my prayer life this year. Because honestly, if, if, if I'm totally honest, I, there is a deep rut in my personal prayer time that prays things for me, or things that will affect me. I do pray for other people. Woohoo! Good job, Eric. But not... I mean, I gotta just be... I'm like, okay... I want to just turn up the volume on prayers for other people. I find that it actually makes me less self-absorbed, less consumed with my own problems, less concerned with the outcome of my life, and more focused on the lives of others. What does it look like to go to God in this new year on behalf of others? On behalf of those in need of healing or those who are in bondage. The demon-possessed daughter doesn't ask for prayer. The deaf man isn't the one who makes the appeal on his own behalf. It says, and they brought him to a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. But then look at the way Jesus deals with this man. There's just another beautiful little snapshot. It says, and taking him aside from the crowd privately, Jesus got to work. And I, I, I don't know why he pulls him aside. Except that what he's about to do is, it's pretty awkward. Like he just wants to have a moment alone with this guy. And you know what's interesting? I, I, as I look at the ministry of Jesus, he seemed to have a high tolerance for awkward. Like he just, he just did not really care what other people thought about him. Like he knew he was about his father's business. He did what he saw his father in heaven doing. And this, in this moment, is what this is. I'm gonna stick my finger in your ears. I don't know if he spit on his hand and touched his tongue with the saliva. It, it's not clear in this passage. But what he does here, it just is a little unusual. But he takes the man aside he does this, and, and, and he, he actually, he, he seems so personal, doesn't he? And I, and I just go, what does it look like to be personal with people, to really see them, to know what might meet them, what might comfort them, what might help them? Like, what is it that God wants to, to do in the life of somebody as, as you just behold that person? Who is standing in front of you? What do they need? How can we meet them as Jesus met them? Jesus Christ is the greatest 
missionary who ever lived. He came the greatest distance of anyone in history, from heaven to earth. What an incredible model. He came to bring the good news of salvation. And, and these miracles take place in pagan Gentile territory. So I just wonder, like, how open and willing are you to go to, say, Lebanon, to love people into God's kingdom? You don't have to go to Lebanon. Where is God calling you to go in this year? And that's just a question I, I want to stir on as I come to uh, sort of the end here. Again, it's going to be short. We're going to take communion, and then we're going to pray for just a few moments. But, man, it would, it would be easy to think that this unsavory woman would just be flatly rejected by Jesus, that she needed to be more holy or righteous to receive a blessing. Or, or again, this Gentile man, undeserving, unclean, according to Jewish tradition, and, and, I, and I just wonder, like, who are the people that we go, not, not them. Who will we go to in 2024? In just a few moments, we're going to pray for the team going to Uganda. We've got a team that is going to Uganda. You guys are leaving, when is it? Like, Thursday. That is so exciting. Frank and Sue have already left. They left on Friday. I've been WhatsApping with them. Um, maybe you don't go to Uganda. That's okay. Where is God sending you in 2024? Next door? The cubicle down the hall in your office? Will I approach that person on the street or a family member who's kind of stood afar off from the church because of offense or whatever it may be? Like, who, who is God sending you to? He's not sending you to no one. I just want to call us to that. He's not sending us to no one. Even if it's one person, I promise he's sending you to someone in 2024. Won't you ask him who that is? Won't you pray for that? They spoke of Jesus in verse 37, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Maybe that happens in our ministry, but you know, this is also a sign of what God intended to do spiritually. He wants to open our ears. He wants to open our mouths. He wants to hear from him and speak and proclaim the truth. This wasn't just about a medical problem this guy had. This was an example to all of us to listen and to speak the words of Jesus in the ministry of Jesus. When we follow Jesus wherever he may lead us, this will also be the outcome of our lives. People will be astonished. Really, that, that's, not, that's not an overstatement. Astonished by our love, our attention, our power, the, the power of God that flows through us to others. But we've got to pull our, our eyes off of ourselves and go. Go in prayer, go in person, go in power. You know, the people's statements in that verse 37 echo Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. You guys, the earth is a wilderness desert. It is in desperate need of those who will go and bring the blessing of God wherever we go. 
That is what our commission is. Let this be our mandate today, this week, in 2024. Who is he sending you to in 2024? We're going to go into communion. Um, And this is such a story of our own salvation. We are but dogs or sinners, as it were. Not worthy to sit at the master's table, but this woman proves that because of the love of Jesus Christ, he welcomes us to eat what is on the table. His body and his blood have redemptive power to heal if we would only come boldly, persistently asking for salvation or healing or freedom. It is there for the taking, but Jesus wants us to push in, to ask boldly, to not give up. As a man who's been a part of Monument for since it began. Many of you don't know the family, but he's suffering from ALS, was diagnosed only a couple of years ago, and a group of us went just to sing carols at their home last week. Celeste had the idea, let's just get a group of those who know and love them just to go and sing to them. It was so, oh, it was amazing. The whole family joined in and he sang with us. I, it would be hard to imagine that somebody in this church has been prayed for more than him and his family. He's not healed yet, but even when we closed that time of caroling, Pat just prayed for healing once again. Just the persistent contending with God and leaving it in his hands, but not giving up. He's looking for determined, direct, blunt, I dare say, as the Syrophoenician woman was. What is the bread you're hoping for in this coming year? What is the food from the master's table that could heal you, make you whole, bring freedom? What are those that could heal others? The unexpected king wants us to expect the unexpected, to get out of our narrow paradigm and culture and way of thinking. I'd like to invite us to stand. We're going to take communion. So perfect. This is, this is the bread from the master's table. This is the story of our salvation.